morning. All right. If we can make our way back to our seats, start finding our ways back to our tables. We'll be back in the book of John this morning. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. That's right. You heard me right. That is 1 through 42. This is probably the longest passage I've ever preached. I hope it's not the longest sermon I'll ever, I'll ever preach. Um, but this morning, right before we dive in, I want to take a minute, talk again about what Michael started talking about. That's the business meeting. As he was saying a moment ago, the business meeting really more is a, it's a family lunch. That's more of what it is for the most part. Um, There's a time for us to look back over the last year. What has God been doing? Look forward over the next year. Where do we believe God's leading us? And just celebrate those things. Um, But then also during that time, we do have a time of business, a time where the members of our church, people who've gone through our member process, um, can vote upon certain things, make certain decisions as a church. Uh, For instance, we vote upon the budget to approve the budget for 2019 that the ministry leaders put together. And it's also a time that we vote to approve the elder nominees for the following year. And members, you're going to be getting a copy of the ballot uh, this week before the meeting. And so I invite you to, invite, to ask me or any of the other elders any questions about what you see on that. Uh, but there is one, some, one thing I want to say about it. Is that when you look at that, you're going to see two fewer names than uh, you might expect under the elder section. Um, and that's just because Ben Kane and Tom Cox have decided to step down from being an elder, uh, from being elders in 2019. Um, and I wanted to say this publicly. They are stepping down. Uh, we are not asking them to step down. <laughs> they have been so faithful to our church body. Um, especially when you think back over the past uh, two years about all the transition and the changes that have happened in our church and the constant faithful service of Ben and Tom. Um, we are so thankful for what they've done over these past two years. And it's just, it's with, it's with a sorrow in our hearts that we're not going to get to the elders uh, aren't going to get to sit with them and make decisions with them and, uh, and pray for the church together with them and lead with them. So I just want to take a minute to say thank you to Tom, thank you to Ben uh, for your amazing service over the last couple of years. And also not make you think that we kicked him out or anything like that. Awesome. So please, uh, plan on coming next week, um, right after church. So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Like I said, long passage. Too long. Um, This is what we have to do, though. When we look at the Word of God, there are natural breaks in stories. And we have to follow the breaks that the original writers of Scripture intended for stories and passages. Um, So what we're going to do, because of the long nature of this story, the story of the woman at the well, uh, we're going to move quickly. We're not going to get sucked into peripheral issues, but we will dig into the two powerful messages that Jesus teaches here. He teaches two powerful messages, one to the Samaritan woman and the other to the disciples. And we will dive into that. But as we read it today, we're going to to read the passage a little bit differently than we usually do. I want to invite up Olivia and Dale. Uh, Because of the length of this passage, what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage together as a conversation. Uh, Olivia is going to read the parts where the woman at the well is speaking. I'm going to read everything else. No, sorry. Dale's going to read Jesus' part, and then I will read everything else. Uh, my hope is that it breaks up uh, the monotony of just reading for 42 verses, but also help bring this passage to life. So I'll start. 
Join with us, John 4, 1 through 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. 
Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Thank you, guys. Give him a hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this story is a story that many of us have heard many times. Um, It's a story that teaches us a lot of things, God. There's a lot of things that you want us to glean, to learn, to know from this story. So my prayer this morning is that you would help us focus in on the thing you want us to learn here. The main messages that you want us to glean. But Father, as we come, we remember the purpose in being here is to worship you. And the purpose that we come is to grow as your disciples so as to honor you more and more with who we are. (laughs) May worship be the result of today both through giving it today and as growing as worshipers today. So, Lord, we give this to you. Our lives are all, you are worth it, God. Be worshipped as we learn from this word. And I pray, Lord, from the, against distractions this morning, if there's things in our minds, uh, frustrations, difficulties of getting out the door, um, help us put those away. Help us put those away, get them out of the way, so that we might be changed by the word before we come back to these hard things. So, Father, we are yours, and we love that. Speak to us this morning, we pray. Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only the disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So John's setting the stage here. Where is Jesus and why is he there? Basically, we know last week Jesus was baptizing in the Judean countryside. If we could put the map up on the screen. Jesus was... I didn't send you the map. (laughs) There is no map. Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. That's my fault. Uh, Well, Jesus was in the Judean countryside. That's the southern region of Israel. Or really, it's the central region of Israel. It's where Jerusalem was. And he was baptizing and doing his ministry down there. But what we see from this passage is that he was drawing too much attention to himself. The Pharisees, uh, they were seeing the growth of Jesus' ministry, and he wanted to slow things down. He didn't want too much attention too quickly. So he decided to travel north, north to the area of Galilee in the north of Israel. Now, in between Judea and Galilee, there's a middle region called Samaria. And the history of Samaria is long and sordid, um, and there's a lot to learn about that. But for the moment, what we have to know is Jesus passed through Samaria on his way to the north. And as he's journeying through, he's tired because he is a man, and he sits down at a well. And this is what happens there at the sixth hour. That's about noon. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And she was right. Jews did not have dealings with Samaritans. And that was actually for a pretty good historical reason. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 12, we read a story about how Israel split in half. And basically what happened is that when the nation split in half, north and south, the northern kingdom retained the name Israel while the southern kingdom took the name Judah. Now, Jerusalem was in Judah, was in the southern kingdom, meaning the temple was in the south. So the kings of the north, they didn't want their people traveling to another country to worship a god in another country. So what the kings of the northern kingdom did was they made their own religion. We read in that passage that they made two golden calves and they put them in two different towns. The town of Dan in the far north of Israel and the town of Bethel on the very southern border of the northern kingdom, right near the border with Judah. The idea being this, the people of Israel want to worship, so where will they go? They'll travel to the place to worship. And before they hit the border, before they pass into Judah, they'll have a different religion that they could find, a national religion. They could either travel north to another country, south to another country, but we'll stop them at the border to make sure they, they worship our own national deity. They made up their own religion. And from this point forward in Israelite history, not a single king in the northern kingdom ever walks with the Lord again. Nobody. Not a single king in the north ever points the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, towards the one true God. And so by the year 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire comes in and brings judgment upon the northern kingdom. And when they come in, they wipe out the northern kingdom. And with those who survive, they settle there. And then they intermarry with the Israelites. And the children of this intermarriage between the Assyrians and the Israelites, from that union comes the Samaritans. So, the Jews saw Samaritans as hated half-breeds, half-Jews who had given up worship of the one true God. So Jesus comes and speaks to a Samaritan, but not just to a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. The fact that she was a woman didn't help the situation in this day, uh, not because there was anything wrong with women, but because there was a taboo about discoursing with women in public. It wasn't okay for Jewish men to speak with Jewish women in public, specifically alone. But Jesus speaks to her. And this is what happens, starting in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He has given us the well and drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus here speaks about living water. But he didn't make up the idea of living water. There's so many things in the book of John. He is quoting an Old Testament passage here as well. The, Jeremiah, the prophet, back in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 13, he's pronouncing judgment upon God's people, and this is what he says to them. My people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, this is God speaking, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. In other words, the judgment that God is giving through Jeremiah to his people is this. They have rejected the fresh running supply of God's goodness and faithfulness. God is the supply of living waters. Actually here, he is the fountain of living waters and they've rejected him. In that place, what they've done was they've made cisterns. Cisterns are just vessels that hold water. But these vessels hold stagnant water. It's not flowing living water. It's stagnant. And in fact, from this passage, what we see is that they're broken cisterns that hold no water. They've traded a spring of life for a broken pot. And so the judgment here is that the people of Israel had rejected the running supply of God's goodness and faithfulness. And the prophet Jeremiah speaks to the same thing as well. But what he does is he looks off to a future day. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 8 says this. Living waters in this future day shall flow out of Jerusalem. He's talking about a future day that is coming that God will establish when living waters will not just be consumed by the people of Israel. Not only will Israel return to these living waters, but the waters will flow out into the nations. This is, he's talking about the kingdom of the Messiah, though he doesn't say it explicitly in that passage. And then what do we see in John 4? Jesus was in Judea, the region of Jerusalem, and he moves out of Jerusalem, and he offers living waters. What we see is a perfect picture of Jesus fulfilling Zechariah 14. Life flowing out of Jerusalem. In verse 10, he says this, Everyone who drinks this water, this well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Just like a fountain of water that is in people. God himself. Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy of Zechariah 14. And he's offering the living water to the Israelite people. And now out to the nations. We'll come back to that. So join me in verse 15. Let's see how the woman replies. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's excited. She wants this living water, but she, she doesn't quite get it. What she's asking for is something different than what Jesus is offering. Basically, she just doesn't want to travel out to the well anymore. She wants a, a supply of water so that she doesn't have to make the journey back and forth. And Jesus, in his patience, he doesn't say to her, really? He doesn't just say to her, didn't I just tell you that the water I'm talking about isn't in the well? Rather than correcting her, he turns the conversation in a different direction. And it's a really interesting one. Let's, let's see. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Not only is this woman a Samaritan, not only is she a, a woman, she is a serial adulteress. 
You have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. She's been flagrantly immoral sexually, especially for the culture in this day. And it's likely that the reason that this woman was at the well at the sixth hour at about noon, rather than at the cooler times of the day when most people would have come to the well, is because she was likely a social outcast because of this sin. A sin like this, getting married and divorced in a culture that divorce wasn't normal, would have made you an outcast. In really a very similar way that sin makes people outcasts today. But Jesus comes to her. He airs her dirty laundry. He names her sin. And how does she respond? Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus airs her dirty laundry, and she replies by engaging him in a friendly theological debate. It's like if I were to confront you about your sin and you reply to me, what do you think about the end times? It doesn't make sense necessarily. But Jesus doesn't come to her and say, don't change the subject. We were talking about you. Rather, in his mercy, and kind of amazingly, what he does is he actually engages her in this new direction. He actually follows down this path and this this change of subject. And he uses the new direction to talk further about something he actually wants to talk about. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and and truth. Jesus is doing two things. In this very short section, he's doing two things. The first thing that he's doing is he's engaging the debate. What he's saying here is he's telling her the right answer. Do you remember the history I just mentioned a moment ago about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom making up their own religion? Basically, Jesus knows what is true what is false. He knows salvation is from the Jews. He knows Jerusalem is the one true place to worship. He knows the northern kingdom is the one who made up a new place to worship. So in his very kind way, he says, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. That's the first thing he does. Salvation is from the Jews. And then he tells her that the hour is coming and is now here when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So number one, you're wrong. Number two, It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if you're on the mountain, you're in Jerusalem, or you're overseas. It doesn't matter where you are. That old debate is obsolete. A new thing is happening. A new thing has come. We don't worship God in a tangible location anymore. God is an intangible God. We worship the Father in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is tearing down borders. He's communicating to this woman that location doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter where you're from. Rather, what matters is that you worship God in spirit and in truth, regardless of your location. So Zechariah 14.8 talked about this living water flowing out of Jerusalem. 
Now I want to read to you a passage in Micah 4 verse 1. This is what that passage says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, so that's, that's Mount Zion, that's the place where the temple in Jerusalem was built, that the mountain, sorry, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up from the hills, and the people shall flow to it. So in that passage, what we're seeing is that the peoples, the peoples of the world are flowing to Jerusalem. So in this latter day, in the day that the Messiah will come and establish, basically this is what we're seeing, living water will flow out of Jerusalem to the nations. The nations will drink that water and flow to Jerusalem. Living waters will flow out. The nations will flow in. In the kingdom of the Messiah, their world will be open to the life-giving water that the God of Israel is offering. It's a beautiful picture. And it seems like the woman at the well understands a little bit of what he's saying. And the reason we think that is because of what she says when she responds. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. They weren't talking about Messiah yet. Now she's talking about Messiah. I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses says to God, God, when the people of Israel ask me, who sent me? What name should I tell them? And God says to Moses, verse, chapter 3, verse 14 of Exodus, I am who I am. He, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This passage, it reveals the name of God to Israel. And so back in John chapter 4, when Jesus says, I who speak to you am he, that's the way that it's translated into English. But if we were going to read the original languages very literally here, if we were going to translate the Greek very woodenly and, and strictly, the way this passage would be translated is this, I am the one speaking to you. I am. And with this sentence, Jesus claims to be the Messiah. That's easy to see. That's right on the surface. But when, what he does is he uses the revealed name of God to do so. I am. He calls himself by the name of God. So what this passage is revealing to us is that Jesus is claiming not just to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the God of Israel. Join me in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So Jesus just reveals himself more clearly than he has yet done in the entire book of John, and the woman, in her excitement, runs away to tell everyone who will listen. But meanwhile at the well, this is what happens. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has 
Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So four chapters into John, by now we see a pattern here. Right? You think back a couple weeks to the story of Nicodemus. Jesus talks to him about being born again. And Nicodemus says, born again? And Jesus says, no, 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 not that type of birth. A spiritual birth, an eternal birth that leads to spiritual life. Then we read the story of the woman at the well, and Jesus speaks about living water. And she says, oh yeah, like water? And he's like, no, no, not that type of water. Spiritual water that leads to some sort of spiritual life. Now again, another misunderstanding. Jesus talks to his disciples about food, and they say, how do you get food? He's like, no, no, not, not that type of food. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus, again, is redefining terms. Jesus, again, is using an image, an illustration, and then actually using people's misunderstandings to further instruct about something. He's talking about food here. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What do we know about food? Food sustains life, right? You need food to live. Yes, that's true. But what Jesus is saying here is that he's speaking of something that offers a greater sustenance, a greater satisfaction than even food can provide. His food, the food that he's talking about, is doing the will of God, doing the work of God, carrying out the word of God. But that, for Jesus, is what gives life. And this is definitely an echo of Deuteronomy 8.3, which says, man does not live by bread, food alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is taking that truth and applying it to the disciples. So Jesus says that his food is to do the will of him who sent him. He's been given a mission. His obedient act of service is obeying the mission that God has given them. And now Jesus is passing that mission on to the disciples. Right? Verse 35, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Verse 36, already, already now, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Jesus says, the Father sent me to do this mission and I am sending you. Disciples, lift up your eyes. Verse 35, it's time to reap the harvest of eternal life. Verse 36. And the amazing thing is what we see in the very next verse. Verse 39. Let me read to the end. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed in his word. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believed. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. How different is that than the reception Jesus got in his own land? How different is that than the reception Jesus got when he was in Jerusalem? Jesus says to his disciples, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. And then here comes a huge harvest. The time has indeed come. 39, many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Verse 41, many more believed because of his words. In other words, he's saying the fields are white for harvest. And then he proves it by reaping a harvest. So we've come to the end of this very long passage. But how do we boil this down? What do do we see here? With all the long and winding narrative that we see in this this passage with Jesus' travel, his time at the well, his conversation with the woman, his revelation of her sin and then his revelation of himself, his conversation with the disciples and then the reaping a harvest of life, how do we boil all this down? I think that we can and must boil down this passage with two lessons. Two lessons. The first one to the Samaritan woman and her neighbors, and the second one to the disciples and all the rest of Jesus' followers. The two lessons are this. Number one, Jesus invites everyone on the outside in. Number two, Jesus sends everyone on the inside out. Jesus invites everyone, we should say, On the outside, in. Jesus sends everyone on the inside, out. What does that mean? Jesus invites everyone on the outside, in. What that means is that Jesus goes into another culture in this passage. He talks to a a hated half-breed. He speaks to a woman in public, which he should not have done culturally. She's an outcast for her sin, but what what he does to her is not ignore her. Rather, what he does is he throws the doors of eternal life wide open to her. Jesus makes a way for all people to come in to his kingdom, to receive the life that he is offering, this living water. They might say, but Jesus, she's, she's a Samaritan, she's a woman, she's in sin. And Jesus says, I don't care. Zechariah 14, it's time for the living water to flow. And it's time for everyone to drink. It doesn't matter who she is, what she's done, where she's from. Living water, eternal life is for her too in Christ. Her and her Samaritan neighbors. So number one, Jesus invites everyone from the outside in. And secondly, second message we need to see here is that Jesus sends everyone on the inside out. Jesus tells his disciples, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He sends them out. He sends them to reap. Go, gather the harvest. This is your food. I've proven to you that the time has come for you to go and reap. So go, reap, lift up your eyes, see, see the need and offer the life, offer the living water. So in 42 verses, we can break it down to six words. If you leave today with anything ringing in your ears, I want it to be these six words. What Jesus is saying in this passage, this long passage, is this. All are welcome. Go and tell them. 
All are welcome. Everyone on the outside is welcome in. Go and tell them. Everyone on the inside has to go out. All are welcome. Go and tell them. Or maybe the six-word explanation could be, the fields are ripe. Go reap. Or divisions are gone. Bring everyone in. All are welcome. Go and tell them. Jew, Gentile, woman, man, law follower, lawbreaker, all are welcome. Go and tell them. Everyone on the outside is welcome in. Everyone on the inside must go out. So be free for you. Are you in the kingdom of God or are you on the outside? Have you received the living water or have you not yet received that water? If you're on the outside of the kingdom of God, if you have not drank the living water that Christ offers, I welcome you. Come in. It's for you. This passage shows us it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done last night or a hundred years ago. It doesn't matter if you did it once or a thousand times. The living water that's welling up to eternal life is for you in Christ. Come drink. His grace is sufficient to cover anything. So trust in him. Receive his forgiveness. The living water is yours. The doors of eternal life are open. So come inside. And if you're already in the kingdom of God, if you've already drank this living water, if you've already received life in the name of Christ by faith in what he did on the cross, then I encourage you to do the first thing Jesus says here, and that is look. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to the need. Open your eyes to the people that God is sending you to. I tell you, look, I tell you, open your eyes and see. The fields are white for harvest. People are thirsty. People need the living water. Don't close your eyes to the reality that the world needs what you have. This gospel, the living water, relationship with the one true God, forgiveness for sins, the family of the church. People need these blessings. Give it to them. Reap the harvest. Tell them about Jesus Christ. And as you reap, and when you reap, share Christ's love in your actions. Share the truth of Christ's love in your words. And offer them the living water that will truly give them life. All are welcome. So go and tell them. Pray with me. Father, this story is so often told for a reason, God, the reason we share this story so often is because it has so much to teach us. Uh, and it's, it's hard to go through a passage that's this rich, this deep, this beautiful, and have to cram it into just 30 or 40 minutes, Lord. But Father, these, these truths, they teach us the reality that all are welcome into your kingdom. All are worthy of drinking your water. All are able to receive life in your name. And the truth that we, your people, are being sent out into the harvest to gather. Father, these are two core things that we hold on to, that we teach, that we, that we seek to live out. So my prayer, Lord, this morning is that as we think about these two, true, two key truths, I pray that they would not feel like old hat to us. The fact that all are welcome, Lord, help us marvel at that. If we haven't received it, help us, help lead us, Lord, to, to, to receive the living water that you're offering, Lord. I pray that today someone would come and accept that living water, find life in your name. 
But Lord, for everyone here who has already received that water, who's already alive in you by faith in your work on the cross, Father, my prayer is that this passage would reanimate our zeal for mission. It would give us a hunger and a drive to offer this water. To understand that we are those on the inside if we have trusted in you. And that we can't just hunker down on the inside, but we got to go out and tell people. If we really rejoice in how good the life that you offer is, Lord, we have to do the same thing the Samaritan woman did. Come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Help us be that excited to share the Christ, you God, for the people who need you. So, Father, we, we give this time to you today, and we pray that you would use these truths to continue to work in us, conform us into your image, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.